Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. And amen. We're talking about spiritual understanding. This is our third lesson on that subject. And we'll just give you a quick review of some of the things that we talked about last week to catch us up. Uh, number one, walking worthy of the Lord. To walk worthy requires us to have wisdom and spiritual understanding. Without it, then we're not going to live the life that he wants us to live, that he deserves that we should live. See, to walk worthy means that we're living a life that he deserves that we live because of the sacrifice that he made. You know, the death that he died. He deserves that we live the kind of life he wants us to live. Can you say amen to that? And don't we all want to do that? And shouldn't we all want to do that? But then secondly, we also talked about even when it comes to healing, it's important to have spiritual hearing, spiritual seeing, spiritual understanding, and then changed by what we hear spiritually. And he said, if you'll do that, then praise God, he would heal us. Now look in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. And here we have the Apostle Paul's prayer. He prayed many prayers throughout the scriptures in the New Testament. And the prayers that he prayed are very effective and meaningful. And we should really learn to pray them for ourselves. We can do that even here tonight. For this cause, since we also, since the day we heard it, did not cease to pray for you. Well, what did Paul pray for the people at Colossae? To desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. What's the objective? That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So what was Paul's prayer? That we'd be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There's natural understanding, but there's spiritual understanding. And we need to know the will of God and we need to have spiritual understanding so that we could live the life that he deserves that we live. So when it comes to healing, the same is true. But then also we talked about salvation. Salvation involves a whole lot more than just us getting saved and going to heaven. And by the way, you can celebrate with me something tonight. My daughter-in-law called or sent me a text this afternoon. And she said, your granddaughter, Mila, accepted Jesus tonight. So I said, praise God. Beautiful. And she was sincere and she meant it from the heart. So praise God, we rejoice in that. It's wonderful to know that we have the advantage of teaching our young ones about Jesus at a young, early age that they can come to Christ. Amen. Well, salvation is a whole lot more than just us getting to heaven. Anybody want to get to heaven? Right. And so praise God, that's our goal. We want to get to heaven. But the word salvation really talks about healed, delivered, set free, made whole, preserved, protected, uh, soundness of mind. All those things are incorporated to the word salvation. So when we talk about salvation, we're talking about with spiritual understanding our lives here upon the earth, as well as when we get to glory. In heaven, we're not going to need protected, delivered, healed, set free. Thank God it's all there. We don't need any of that, do we? And so we thank God for that. We talked about that. Then also we talked about the fact that Jesus saved that which was lost. And sometimes when people reference that scripture, they're talking about saving someone once again. Well, thank God he's here to save. He came to save. But what was lost was more than just us getting to heaven once again. He came to restore relationship, reconcile us to the Father. He came for many other reasons. Uh, to restore relationship, to restore righteousness and justification so that we can be holy and upright before God. He can present us holy before the Father as well. He came to give us our lost dominion back and authority back. Man was given a dominion and authority from the beginning, but it was turned over to the enemy. We know that. So he restored that as well. Also, our, our created value and purpose in life. He restored that. 
See, the work's already done in the mind of God. It's up to us to renew our minds to these blessed truths and start acting like as though they're true. Your created value has been restored. He saved that. Your purpose has been restored. He saved that. So when someone says, I don't know my value, I don't know my purpose, well, then you need to look to the right place. The blood of Jesus Christ reveals your created value. And also it restores your purpose. You're reconciled to God. You're to live for him. You're to be his vessel of honor here upon the earth to carry out the will that he has for your life. And that's what it's all about. A lot of things will happen along the way, but that's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what we're all supposed to be doing. So, so once again, salvation involves a whole lot more than just going to heaven. It's the life that we live here upon the earth and the way that we live it to honor and glorify him. Then we talked about redemption. And redemption includes everything that Jesus shed his blood for. Justification, sanctification. But he redeemed us, why? So that we could become righteous saints, not just sinners saved by grace or forgiven sinners. You notice when someone says, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, the emphasis then is on the sinner. It sounds like you're still a sinner. And they have no revelation or spiritual understanding of the fact that they are a saint now, not a sinner. You were a saint, you were a sinner in Adam, you're a saint in Jesus. You were unrighteous in Adam, you are righteous in Jesus. You were unholy in Adam, you are holy in Jesus. Can we see that? So you see, he's given us all this back. He's restored us. He's reconciled us to the Father. We're at peace with him now, in harmony with him now. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God. We were Sons of the enemy, children of wrath, we are told in Adam. But we're children of God right now in Jesus. So would you rather be in Adam or Jesus? I'd rather be in Jesus. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. The life we live in the flesh, we live by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. Then we talked about, finally, that we are the temple of the Most High God. And you talk about need, a need for wisdom and spiritual understanding. We are the temple, the dwelling place. God no longer lives in buildings made with men's hands. He doesn't live in brick and mortar buildings or the temple or the tabernacle any longer. He lives in you. He lives in me. And his presence on the inside of us should impact us the way we think and also the way we live from the inside out. Working out our salvation with fear and trembling means you get it from the inside to the outside. And we do that by faith through a renewed mind. Amen. Tonight, we're going to focus on uh, another important teaching in the Bible, and that's talk, it, it's talking about temptation. Um, spiritual understanding when it comes to temptation. Have you ever been tempted? The rest of you? You've never been tempted? <laughs> we all experience temptation, don't we? Well, in the book of James chapter 1, notice these, two, these few verses here, 2, 3, and 4 how these verses reveal to us something that's really odd when it comes to facing temptation. As a matter of fact, it runs cross-grain with us. It goes against anything that we probably can think or feel. Because you see, what it does is tells us to ignore our emotions, our emotional feelings. Maybe not ignore them, but, but not yield to them. Let's put it that way. It might be a better way to say it. But let's read the verses for James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren... Count it all joy or holy delight when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that you may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Remember we talked about how 
it's better to read just a few scriptures and meditate on those scriptures than it is to uh, read 10 chapters of the Bible. Focus on what those verses are saying. These people are scattered abroad because of persecution and affliction. So James is trying to teach them some blessed truths because they're deceived into thinking that God is the force behind what they're going through. But in reality, it's not God who's doing it. And so he's trying to set the record straight. But the question is, how can you and I consider it all joy or a matter of the greatest joy, as one translation puts it, when we fall into diverse temptations? How can we do that? Who does that naturally? And no one does that naturally. You know, when you and I fall into diverse temptations, there's all kinds of challenges coming against our lives. The uh, immediate response is not, hey, this is wonderful. Let's count it all joy. Well, we can't do it without spiritual understanding. And that's the truth. See, the short answer is we can't do that. We can't count it all joy if we look at it from a natural perspective. Look at the book of Acts chapter 5, and you'll see in these verses that the apostles, they grew and they matured in the things of God. And as a result, when they were challenged and facing temptations and persecutions and afflictions, their response was unlike people who are not mature in the Lord. And to him they agreed, and when they had called the apostles and beaten them, have you ever been beaten for the name of Christ? Have you ever been beaten for proclaiming the gospel? No. But they were beaten. And you know, it wasn't just a little minor thing. These people were brutal. So the apostles are beaten and they commanded that they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. So they felt as though by beating them that would put a fear of them into them and they would no longer preach and proclaim you know, the gospel. Well, they departed from the presence of the council and were so sad and their hearts were so aching and they were so upset and they just complained and murmured and just spewed out venom and I'll tell you what, it was just hard to be around them. They had such a victim mentality. Why is that? Why are we going through this? Why is God putting us through all this? Oh my goodness, Lord. What now, we've been serving you all this time and we get beaten. Is that what they did? No, it says rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now think about that statement just for a moment. You want to beat us? We'll beat it. We're going to do it more. Beat us again. We'll just get even happier and rejoice a whole lot more. They had a different mentality, a different mindset. That's a mature mindset and mentality. And daily in the temple and in every house, they stopped preaching. No, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ. They did it all the more. A bunch of rascals, weren't they? Sure. They weren't concerned about being beaten. They weren't complaining about it. They weren't murmuring about it. Now that is unnatural, right? I mean, the natural response is to be frustrated, to be fearful, to be concerned, you know, maybe to be shy and shy away and, and say, this isn't worth it, man. I don't want to go through that kind of a beating again. No, they double up on the houses and everywhere they went, they're preaching even more and teaching every more about Jesus. So where's this mentality come from? Look at the book of Hebrews chapter five and start with verse 12 to 14. For when for the time you ought to be teachers, you have need, again, need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God and are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Why? 
For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are of a full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Notice, here's a, a help for us. By reason of use means they habitually did something about their senses and their senses that wanted to dictate to their lives and tell them to do the wrong thing. They kept them in check. They held them in check. And what they did was they put them under and said, no, my joy doesn't come from without. It comes from within. You can beat me if you want to, but that's not going to bother me because you see, I'm going to rejoice all the more. I'm going to shout all the more. Because my senses want to control my life and dictate to my behavior. See, if anger rises up, it wants to control me. If jealousy rises up, it wants to control me. If fear rises up, it wants to control me. If shame rises up, it wants to control me. If hurt rises up, it wants to control me and make me murmur, complain, etc., etc. And what he was saying to them is this. Look, it's not just to learn the word, it's to live the word. You get the word on the inside of you and you begin living it. But the way you're going to live it is faith. It requires faith to live it out. And so if we're going to grow, just like anything, if you're going to grow physically and develop physically, it requires certain things. If you're going to develop your muscles, it re requires certain things. I wouldn't guarantee, I would not in, 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 have any of you attempt to run a 26 mile marathon if you've never jogged. If your longest distance was from the living room to the kitchen to the refrigerator to get something to eat. I wouldn't recommend that you get out there and run 26 miles. Would you? No. You're not ready for that. You know, get beyond the kitchen, get a little bit further, run around the house or something like that a few times. Because you see, you're not ready for that. So what we need to do is recognize what he's saying. He said, look, your senses need to be exercised. They need to be disciplined. They need to be controlled. We need to be weaned from our emotional feelings and don't let them dictate to our lives. That's what they want to do. Your really joy comes from within. Your peace comes from within. All these things are on the inside and we have to learn to develop them so that when things come against us and they want to make us jealous or envious or frustrated or angry or whatever, we don't yield to that. You can yield to it if you want to. Your feelings can yield to it if you want, if they, if you want to let them dictate to your life. But you don't want to do that because you want to grow. And see, it's important that we understand this idea of temptation. They were tempted, obviously, to get upset, I'm sure. To get down, I'm sure. To be frustrated, I'm sure. They were beaten for the name of Jesus. But no, they went away rejoicing. So they learned something. They knew something. They understood something that we need to understand. We're not controlled by those feelings and emotions. We're not controlled by external circumstances and outward experiences in life. We should be controlled by the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of us who is in our spirit birth or deposit within us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, meekness, temperance, and faithfulness. In other words, this is an opportunity to do what? Count it all joy is what he said. This is how we do it by faith. Count it all joy. The word count means to give a command. Give a command. A joyful command. Because the joy of the Lord is our what? It's our strength. So where does joy come from? The inside, not the outside, right? So let me give you one of my little examples. Uh, I did this on Friday in our healing class. I think... Yeah, I think this one, whatever, I did it recently. It bears repetition. Um, you ever drive your car and all of a sudden your engine light comes on? Does that make you smile? Well, my engine light came on. Now when it comes, when the, when the indicator comes on, change your oil, change the oil, no problem. If it comes, you need some windshield wiper fluid, then put it in. No problem. But when the engine light comes on, it's like, mm, you get a double take on that. And that thing just stares you right in the face. Every time you start your car, it just stares at you. It looks at you. 
It's not saying anything, but it's saying a whole lot. It's mocking you. It's scoffing you. Look at me. I'm big. I'm bright. I'm orange. Look at me. There I am, staring me in the face. And I kept looking at that thing and looking at that thing. So finally, I, I went somewhere. I had him check it out. You know, what's going on with my, with my car? Well, you better take it down to this other place and get it checked out and see what it is. And so I did. They put it on the machine. They found out what, you know, what's going on. You need to have your pump replaced, your fuel pump replaced. Da, 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 da. And so I, I thought, okay, finally got it done. $569 later, you know, I gotta, I'm still smiling because the light's out. I look, start it up, the light's out. Oh, it felt so good to drive with the light out for two days. Then the light came back on. That was a day and a half. Because I said to my wife, you took the car last night. Was that light on? She goes, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. It was on again. It was on again. So now the decision you have to make is this. What are you going to do? Well, your joy doesn't come from within, and thank God, I'm from without. Thank God that the joy doesn't come from without. So I call them up and I tell them, uh, the light's back on again. Oh, we really? Oh, bring it back down here. We'll check it out and see what's going on. So I take it back down there, and I thought, and I did say to him, is it possible that maybe we change something that didn't need change that cost $569? <laughs> That's a thought, <laughs> right? I, I, yeah, right. So I take it back down there, and when I go back down, they say, oh, it's your catalytic converter. I said, well, that was already changed not too long ago. So was the muffler and so was the manifold. So those were all changed. Okay. So he said, well, you better take it back to where it was changed and, you know, get it taken care of. And I'm sure that they're going to warranty it and, you know, take care of it because you just had it recently done. So the light's still on. It laughed at me even today. It was mocking me, scoffing me. It's still on. But I got an appointment to go get that thing taken care of. And the other part, I'm just rejoicing even though... Did I need to have the other work done? Uh, possibility, because it has some other symptoms. Possibility, kind of a coincidence that they both, this happened at the same time. But regardless, does my joy come from that light? Mm -mm. But you wait until it goes out. I'm going to laugh at it. I'm going to laugh at it, right? And what am I trying to say? External outward things that we have no control over can either make you respond to your emotional feelings. But in the book of Psalms, we are told to be weaned from our emotional feelings and not let them dictate to our lives. So if we don't learn to count it all joy when we fall into these diverse temptations, well, guess what? We'll never grow spiritually. We'll never grow in Christ. You see, these temptations are coming against us and they have no good intentions whatsoever. So we're going to talk about that. They want to destroy us. But we need to get the right perspective so that we can recognize what they're coming at us for. And instead of bowing down to the scoffing and mocking of the orange light, we can just go, mm, I recognize you now. Glory be to God. My joy doesn't come from you. It comes from within. I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. And before you know it, when you're persecuted for righteousness sake, instead of becoming frustrated, upset, and then, you know, acting out things you shouldn't act on. You just go, praise God Almighty, I got it. I got the victory because Jesus gave me the victory already. I'm just going to walk in love and let the love of God flow. He'll take care of my situations for me. We believe that, don't we? All right, let's look. In the book of James, chapter 1, verse 12, and, and the reason why I'm starting with this is because we people need to be motivated, don't we? And so we want to understand what the reward is for overcoming temptation and enduring temptation. So James chapter 1, verse 12, this is the reward that we get for overcoming temptation. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, 
for he for when he is tried he shall receive the crown of life which the lord hath promised that to them that love him anybody want to receive this reward of the crown of life this crown of glory praise god that adam and eve lost from the very beginning he, they were crowned with glory and honor well, you and I, praise God, have an opportunity to receive the crown of life that belongs to us. All we have to do is endure and overcome temptation. Now, we're all going to have temptation come our way, but we're not to succumb to it. We're not to give in to it and let it control our lives or rule our lives. We're to rise up above it and overcome it. So we have to endure it. So um, the crown of life is an everlasting crown that each and every one of us can ex experience and receive in glory but it's up to us on this side of heaven to do what? Endure the temptation, the temptation to cave in under the pressure, to complain, to murmur, and, and to act out in ways that dishonor God. So we're to rejoice. We're to be glad no matter what we're experiencing or going through in this life. It's, we're going to be tempted to fall away. So you've got to endure it. I've got to endure it. And if we'll endure it, we have guarantee that we're going to receive the crown of righteousness, the crown of life. Secondly, the tempter. Look at James 1 and 13. 1, 13. The tempter. There is a tempter. And here's where we've got to get some correct spiritual understanding. If we're going to count it all joy, then we have to understand these things. The trying of my faith works patience. I need to know this. The trying of my faith. He tells us, and we just saw it in James chapter 1, uh, verse 2, Count it all joy when you fall into adverse temptations, knowing, knowing, knowing knowledge, knowing this, what? The trying of our faith works or develops patience. Patience is where? It's on the inside of us, but we have to work it. We have to develop it. We need to energize it to get it manifested. And what is patience? Patience is the ability to remain constant and stable in the face of adversity and changing circumstances. So we remain confident, stable, assured that patience is developing in my life. And the longer I go without reacting according to the flesh and emotional feelings, the more I mature in the things of God, the more ability that I have to stand firm in a situation that's adverse until the results come forth. So we know the trying of our fate words patience. Let patience have her perfect work. We'll be perfect or mature entire wanting nothing. So let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. Why do so many Christians say then God's just putting me through this and, and God is the one that's tempting me? God's putting up these things. And that's exactly what those believers James was writing to believed. They thought that God was the cause of their temptation, of their trials, of their tribulations. The word actually means tempt, test, try. So they thought God was the one who was doing it. But we see God is not the one who does it. And we're going to show you this. Look at um, Matthew chapter 4 in the first three verses. God's not the tempter. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by God. No, to be tempted of the devil. Who's the tempter? Uh, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he was afterward hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made bread. So the point is, he is the tempter. Now, it's up to us to recognize that temptation is not sent by God to us as a good thing like some Christians believe and think to develop them. The intended purpose of temptation, trials and tests come from the devil and the intentions are not good whatsoever. 
the intention is to destroy us. He comes to kill, to steal, and to destroy us. And that's what he's coming to do. So the temptation is not in his mind to perfect us. In his mind, it's to destroy us. We're to recognize, praise God, that God's not the author of it. He's the one that's going to make the way of escape or the way out of it. You know, we go back to the very beginning in the book of Genesis and we see this. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. God is not the tempter. Now the serpent was more subtle, cunning, crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of the tree, of every tree of the garden? Now, in his subtlety, he comes along and he tries to say some things or manipulate things so that the individual gets a little bit confused about, let's say, what God said. Now, of course, I know every time, men, your wife says something to you, you immediately know everything she says. You can verbatim quote it back to her. Am I correct? All the ladies are answering. All the wives are answering. No. Mm -mm. That's not what I said. Well, here we have a scenario where the enemy comes along and says, hath God said that you, you know, and he makes a statement. And then, of course, she now has to think. Now, exactly what did he say or what did he tell Adam and what did Adam tell me? And then she tries to play it back and give it back to him. Remember, he is subtle, cunning, and crafting, and he's trying to instill within a person's mind thoughts that are going to have a person go the way he wants them to go. So he comes along as the tempter, and he begins to tempt. The first lesson that we learn then in the, in the Bible, the opening from Genesis, the first three chapters, is God is the creator, and he has created everything in perfection. He placed man in the perfect place where he's experiencing a perfect life with a perfect wife, with a perfect job, with a perfect career. All he has to do is enjoy everything that's there in the garden and continue on until he's changed into the person that God wants him to be. But now all of a sudden we have something called a tempter and he comes to tempt them with temptation. So from the very beginning, how important is this message? From the very beginning, the enemy comes along to get us to do what? To think differently. To think differently than the way that God wants us to think. To think the way our feelings tell us to think. Our emotions tell us to think. Our desires tell us to think. And so on. That's exactly what he did. So he sets her up and he begins to kind of fish in her mind to see what she's going to do. He has many tools that he uses to get people not to believe the word of God or to believe his lies. And he'll use them. He did with her and she bought the lie. So we have the temper. But then three, we have the temptation. And this verse is very often abused and misused. And we just, Brother Chuck and I just heard someone yesterday use this statement incorrectly. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that you are able but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And what you actually hear from people is, God won't give me more than I can handle. They take that verse of scripture and they just reduce it to, you know, God won't give me more than I can handle. As if God was the one giving it in the first place. God's not the one who's giving it. Who's the tempter? 
the devil, what's he doing? Trying to deceive with lies and so on. And what are his intentions? Destruction, kill, steal, and destroy. So we know that going into it. Well, here God says that he'll make a way of escape from any temptation that comes our way. But God is not the author of the temptation. He's not the one that's bringing it our way. And what it's actually saying is this. The devil cannot use something beyond the realm. It has to be common to man of human experience. He can't go into another realm and use things that are out there in another realm that we have no control over or understanding of and just use all those things that are out there to tempt us, to test us, and to try us. Where was the tree? In the garden. What did he use? The tree in the garden. It wasn't something beyond the sphere that they were living in. And so God's faithful. He won't allow him to use anything beyond what's in this realm that's common to man. So the temptation will come our way. So it's understandable to us that while we're living in the world, we're going to have tribulation. We're going to have all kinds of difficulties and challenges and adversities. But we have to also understand that with every temptation, God has made a way of escape. He's the author of the way of escape. The enemy is the author of the temptation. And what's he doing? He's trying to sift us like wheat to determine what's in us and what we're comprised of, what we're made of. And if it's fear, who put the pressure of fear? If it's worry and anxiety, who put the pressure of worry and anxiety on us? Whatever it is that he sees our weakness, and we shouldn't show him our weaknesses, but he'll fish around for our weaknesses. If we listen to his thoughts and buy his lies, and he'll see, okay, I can see this one's weak in that area right there. He's going to put the pressure on us. Well, what, whatever it is, whatever comes our way, we need to understand this. God, there's a way of escape. And if we lack wisdom, James said what? Ask God to show you the wisdom that you need, the way of escape, so that you can rise up above it. Uh, I've said this before, bears repetition. When I was at school out in Ramah, you know, years ago, at the, a young lady came to me and she said that God put on her more than she can bear. And she was referring to the death of her infant child. I serve the Lord up until this time because the Bible says God will not put on you more than you can bear. Well, I can't, I couldn't. That was it. That was the last straw. As far as I was concerned, that's it. No way. I'm not serving him anymore. I refuse. And I tried my best to communicate with her the truth of God's word. God did not do that. She said she went to ministers and ministers told her that God needs another flower in heaven. You've heard that one. It really, that's not that comforting if you think about it. In actuality, that's a selfish statement as far as, about God as far as God is concerned. Because you see, God can have that child for eternity. So why would God want to deny that child living a short period of time upon the earth? God needed that child. And it's designed to try to comfort this person. It didn't comfort her. It angered her. You telling me that God killed my baby? God killed my baby? That's it. I, I can't take it anymore. I'm no longer going to serve him. And I said, ma'am, it wasn't, it wasn't God. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It wasn't God. Don't blame God for something he didn't do. There's the fall of man. It opened up the door to sin and death. Death came into the world that we're living in. You know, the thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy, like I said, and, and all this. And I try my best to convince her. I just pray. I sowed, either sowed seed or watered the seed that someone else sowed in her life. I pray to God that I don't know what happened with her, but I would, my belief was that it would, it would not return void, but accomplish that which God sent it to her life. 
that it would change her heart attitude and that someday her eyes would be open. See, spiritual understanding is necessary when it comes to getting through things like this, the temptations that come our way. Here she is tempted now to walk away from God, and in her mind she actually did. But I believe God was wooing her back by his spirit and trying to sow seeds you know, of life into her once again so that she'd go back and serve God. Let's go on back to Genesis chapter 3 now. It's not God giving us anything. It's the enemy coming with wrong intentions. He wants to destroy us. He wants to get us involved in our feelings and emotions so that we can be overcome. Open up a door, let him in. We don't need to do that. We can close that door. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 2 through 6. And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. Now she exaggerated that a little bit. And the serpent said to the woman, Ye shall not surely die. Now notice it. You're not going to die. For God does know that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes will be open, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also to her husband with her, and he did eat. The temptation was to get her to act apart from what God said. You realize anything and everything we go through in this life is an attempt to get us to act apart the way that God wants us to act. To act apart from his word. To believe that our feelings and our emotions and all our five senses on the outside are right and that what God said is wrong. And that's exactly what he used. This was a tool that he used to get her to start thinking differently. See her eyes, she started seeing something else. You know, you go back to Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, and what do you see? Three realms in which the devil came to tempt him to really question his own identity. The physical part with hunger. The emotional part with confusion, and you can say even presumption, just to throw yourself off, and the angels will take care of you. And then the prideful part of the inside, the spiritual part of man, I'll give you all these things, you can have it all, belongs to you. He tried in all three rounds, but he failed in all three rounds because Jesus did what? Honored the word of God and exalted the word of God above the light. What did Adam and Eve do? What did Eve actually do in the beginning here? She saw something. It impacted her. It caught her attention. And she kind of actually entertained it and thought it through. It presented something to her that she didn't have, something that she could desire. And that's exactly what temptation is. And what does she do? She acted upon it. Look at James 1 now, 14 through 16. She acted upon her emotional feelings and she saw something that she desired that she could possibly have, something more that God was holding back from her so she could experience in life. And of course, as a result, she fell victim to it. Now let's look at how temptation works. God is not the one who does the tempting. Let no man say he's tempted, tested, or tried of God because God doesn't tempt any man. He can't be tempted with evil and he doesn't tempt any man. But every man, notice every man, is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, will bring forth death. So do not err or be deceived, my beloved brethren. Look at the progression here. 
you're drawn away from your drawn away of your own lust and enticed. The analogy or the metaphor that he's using here is like someone who goes fishing. Can you imagine going with someone who goes fishing and throws his hook in without any bait on it? Not too many fishermen do anything like that. But they do put bait on it. Why? To entice. The fish that you want to catch is looking up at that minnow or worm or whatever you're using to catch the fish and it's kind of deceived. It sees something that it desires and something that it wants so it's enticed to go after it but it doesn't see the hook. And that's what you're banking on that it doesn't see the hook. That's exactly how the enemy operates. He puts something out there for you to look at, for me to look at, to make it look good, to entice us, to draw us away. So she saw this and she said, this looks pretty good. All of a sudden, she sees this tree like she never saw it before. She sees the fruit like she never saw it before. She sees it and she's enticed and she's drawn away. Could I really have this? You see, the design is to offer us some pleasure that we don't have. The enticement is it's going to produce a profit that we don't have. It's, it's a promise of a profit, promise of a pleasure, promise of whatever it might be. And so we're enticed by it. We want it. We draw. You're going to get some satisfaction. You know, you can get satisfaction by acting this way, by doing this, by doing that. You, you, you think about, for example, road rage. Some people get satisfaction out of jumping out of the car and kicking in the door of another car. We saw that happen. Jump out of a car, run over and just start kicking the door of another car, you know, denning it. I guess they got satisfaction out of doing that. Got back in the car and smiled real big. I feel good now. Really. And that's a minor thing compared to what some do. They shoot people, they kill people, and they get satisfaction out of doing that because, you see, you got them so angry because you cut them off because you probably didn't know. Anybody ever have anybody in your blind spot that you didn't see because it's in the blind spot, which is why it's called the blind spot? We call it the blind spot because you can't see, right? And then you go to pull over to the right lane or the left lane or whatever, you didn't see it, then you're going to, where'd you come from? They blow the horn at you, and right? They're, so, they're giving you their fist. Uh, I'll, I'll be polite. They're giving you their fist. <laughs> right? You know, and, and you're going to wonder, where'd you come from? Not like, like as if you wanted to do that. You didn't want to do that, but you didn't see him. You literally didn't see it. Didn't see that person coming. But then there's this road rage. They go crazy over this. You didn't intend to do that. And if someone did it to you, you, you just know you've, did, you've done it before as well. So let's not get so angry about it. But the temptation is there for a person whenever those feelings and emotions arise to act upon them because you see they need to be satisfied. And until they're satisfied, we're not going to put it to rest. And this is true on many different things on different levels, whether it's jealousy, anger, and all, all sorts of things, road rage, whatever. So people will act out. And let their feelings and emotions control their lives. You'll never grow spiritually if we continue to allow that to happen. It's important that we recognize where they're coming from. Count it all joy. Praise God. Another opportunity for me to shout the praises of God. I'm going to count it all joy. I'm going to rejoice. Praise God. I'm going to believe God. I'm going to grow. I'm going to develop. You know, you heard me say when I was at the cleaners and the guy wanted to clean my clock because he thought I pulled in front of him and, and all that. And he was really big, really big. I mean, you know how big I am, and he was really big compared to me. About six foot five, and I just looked up with him like this here. After he chewed me out, and I just said, God loves you and has a great plan for your life. While my flesh was boiling, while my, bo my blood was boiling on the inside because he humiliated me in front of all these people, 
But I just stood there and just said, God has a wonderful plan for your life. And he loves you. And he never said another word. Stopped talking right there. It was almost as if he was arrested by something. He was as quiet as can be and, and left the store. And the lady said, you handled that very well, by the way. <laughs> well, thank God for that. You know, the danger of the hook applies to all of us. You realize there's nothing more important that you have than your testimony and your witness. And the enemy wants to entice you to get out there and use road rage, to use anger, jealousy, whatever it might be, murmuring, complaining, to tarnish your testimony and ruin your witness. That's exactly what he wants to do because if he can do that to lure you away through enticement, whether it's lust, whether it's pleasure, you know, whether it's you're going to profit by this. And she saw the tree and she said, I'm going to benefit by this. I'm going to profit by this. I'm going to rise up to a higher level. I'm going to be like God. Lady, you're already like God. God made you in his likeness and image. You are like God right now. You got deceived into thinking there was something more that you can have. And guess what? You acted upon that. And as a result, you didn't keep your emotions under control and feelings under control. And look what you did. Destroyed your own life. Go on to Genesis chapter three, now four to six again, because here we have the enticement. Look at this. The promise of profit, the promise of something better in your life. Servant said to the woman, you shall not surely die. You shall not surely die. Liar. Pants on fire. You shall not surely die. For God does know in the day that you eat thereof, your eyes shall be open. Oh, they were open. All right. You shall be as gods. Oh, you knew both good and evil. Knowing good and evil. You learned about that. Now you're in the evil, not the good. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes to make and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. So you can see the progression. Number one, it starts with deception. To mislead, misinform, misguide, to present this truth that was a lie, to get someone to believe the lie, to buy the lie, and act like it's really the truth. So she bought it, she believed it, she received it, acted upon it, she actually believed she could profit by what she was doing. Well, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? And she set, set out for the world. She wanted to be godlike. She wanted to rise up above, just like Lucifer wanted to rise up above the throne of God. Well, her enticement was this. She was misled. Is that what God meant? Did he really mean that? Look at the next one. Doubt. To doubt the integrity of God's word. It's not true. You're not going to die. Well, by his stripes you were healed. It's not true. You weren't healed by his stripes. Look how you feel. How do you feel? God doesn't supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Look at your bank account. Look at your bank book. Look at what's going on. So you see, the temptation is to what? Not believe it. Oh, I know it says it, and I know he said it, but I don't really believe it because I see it's not happening in my life. So it's easier for me to focus on what I can see with my natural eye and not focus on what I should be seeing with my spiritual eye. With the stripes I was healed is a reality whether I experience it or not. I'm to embrace it so I can walk in the light of it. It's up to me to do my part to experience it. I've got to believe it. I've got to trust that he meant it. He said it. He meant it. It's true. He's a God of integrity. So this is a challenge that she has and others have, we all have, to doubt God's integrity. The third one is denial. To agree with the lie. It must be true. You know, you're not going to die. I'm not going to die. Why would she eat it if she thought she was going to die? I'm not going to die. 
I'm not going to die. So you buy the lie. You accept it. You embrace it. You believe it. As a result, next thing is disobedience. She acted upon it. She acted upon it. When she acted upon it, the last one is destruction. She was destroyed by it. So you can see the progression here. And starting with deception to mislead, misinform, misguide people. Once again, let's just take the one that we already said, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. God won't give me more than I can handle, but he did. That scripture doesn't say that. You, you know how many scriptures are so misquoted and misused? And it's by the enemy to make people ready to get them deceived into thinking that's exactly what the verse says. And I've heard people quote verses. You well, you know what the Bible says? All things work together for good. Uh, no, you falling down, breaking your leg didn't work together for your good. No, you wrecking your car didn't work together for your good. Mm -mm, it wasn't designed for that. But you see, they, quote, they half quote a scripture, and that's what the scripture says. All things work together for good. No, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that. God works together for the good of those that love him and that are called according to his purpose. All the things of God work together for our good. Read the chapter. Everything in that chapter works together for our good. It's not your circumstances. It's not life experiences. It's not car wrecks. It's not falling down. It's not getting bit by a dog or whatever. None of those things work together for our good. It's certainly not the devil attacking you with sickness or disease or mental anguish or anything like that. That doesn't work together for your good. If everything worked together for everybody's good, that means the Twin Towers was working together for people's good. That means all the shootings that took place around this country recently and all that, that in Pittsburgh and other places around Virginia Tech, Boston and all that. Is that working together for people's good? Absolutely not. Women that are abused and, 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 and hurt and and molested and all that, that doesn't work together for someone's good. But yet, why is it so easy for people to buy that lie, to be deceived by it into thinking that that's working together for a person's good when it's not working together for their good? It's the, it's the devil himself deceiving people, designing in his own strategies a way to destroy their faith in God. Or make them not even fight the good fight of faith, to accept it as coming from God. No, God has made the way out Let's take the latter part of the verse that says there is a way of escape and he's made the way of escape. There is no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful. See, the faithful one is the one who makes the way of escape. That's what we're to be looking for. So we don't accept that it's coming from God. Now, he'll appeal to our natural desires and feelings. Why? Because he wants us to follow that path. He wants to control our lives. So spiritual understanding says this, when these things happen to us in this life, we're to count them all joy. If we count them all joy, command joy in the situation, knowing that joy of the Lord is our strength, what happens is we activate patience on the inside of us. Patience will begin to rise up within us, and we will develop patience just like a long-distance runner will develop endurance along the way. And, you, and you know, people that practice for marathon running, they practice in different kinds of weather, cold weather, rainy weather, and all that. Why? Because they have to be in the best shape they possibly can. Expect the unexpected during that particular time. They'll get out there when it's really hot in, in the heat of the day and run that way as well. Because when that time comes, they don't know if it's going to be cold, rainy, or if it's going to be extremely hot, but they want to be prepared in every way. And that's how we should be prepared in every way. So when these things come against us in this life, what are we to do? Not to complain, not to murmur, not to gripe, but to rejoice. It's a matter of the greatest joy 
the one translation says, the greatest joy that when you and I are tempted, tested, and tried not to believe God, to, not to believe that his hand of protection is upon you, or that fear is going to control your life, not, all these things, praise God, we're to count it all joy, command joy in this situation, because your emotions and my emotions will not want to rejoice, but we command joy like the disciples, like the apostles did, and praise God, when that happens, we grow spiritually, we develop patience, Patience has a perfect work. We become perfect and entire, wanting nothing. That is the whole understanding that we need of temptation when it comes our way. So when you see someone that's being tempted to say, my life's not worth anything, it's not meaningful, then you have something that you can share with them. Look, God loves you, cares about you, sacrifice for your life. You are so valuable, you're so important. He's restored your created value. He's given you purpose in this life. All that you're listening to is a lie coming to you from the devil himself to deceive you into thinking that your life is meaningless and hopeless. But I want you to know something. God's restored your value. God has sacrificed his son. He's given you a path that you can take that is one that's glorious a way that you can experience the best that life has to offer on this end. And when you get the other side, the crown of glory waits for you. So when we know the will of God and we have spiritual understanding, we can face temptation in such a way so as to rise up victorious and stand against it, not succumb to our feelings and emotions, but allow the life of God on the inside, the joy that's in there, the patience that's in there develop so that we can stand firm. And the more we learn to do it, like a long distance runner, our patience is developed. So no matter what we're encountering, what we're believing God for, we can endure whatever comes our way until we get to the other side. Like Peter walking on the water, he lacked patience. He had faith, but he didn't have patience. Faith and patience enable us to inherit the promise, right? Hebrews 6, 12, through faith and patience, we inherit the promise. Faith started the process, but patience wasn't there. He began to sink when what? He was distracted when the enemy came along and said, look at this, look at that, look at this, look at that. We've got to, we're in it for the long haul. It's a marathon race. It's not a sprint. And so we need to recognize our need to rise up above our feelings and emotions and stand firm in our convictions. And when the enemy comes our way with all these temptations, what are we supposed to do? Count it all joy. Let's all stand together before the Lord. Count it all joy.